Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Thursday, January 7th, 2016. And today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 20, um, the fifth paragraph. Today's readers are Christine M., Nadia B., Naomi B., Chelsea H., and Kathy K. The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, January 6th, is 8360. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contribution, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Christine M. to read the 12 steps. Yes, good morning, everyone. This is Christine M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you very much, Christine M. and Nadia B. Do you want to read the 12 traditions for us while we wait for Anita to come back? Oh, excuse uh, me. I was on mute. Slurping. Uh, <laughs> Nadia B., please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for your service. This is um, Nadia B., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader in Connecticut. The 12 traditions of a readers anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for a membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or away as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group are never endorsed, financed, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS as such ought to never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all this tradition, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Nadia B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phones. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. 
Today we resume our study of the big book on page 20 at the bottom. Uh, we're starting with the fifth paragraph and reading two paragraphs, and we will be discussing second paragraph only. And I will ask Naomi B. to get us started. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, my visionaries. I'm, I am Naomi B., a grateful, grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely. If they have good reason for it, they can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may, be the hab- he may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes apparent, excuse me, this may this man can also could stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult or troublesome, and may even need medical attention. Well, that's not me. <laughs> I'm not a hard drinker. Um, I'm I'm just I'm the real thing, and we'll read about that further on. But I want to zero in on warning of a doctor. Even though I had the lap band surgery, which was what constricts the opening of my stomach, it doesn't adjust the stomach, but it's the volume of food that could get in. I was still able to put 35 pounds back on. And my primary physician kept saying, Naomi, you have to lose weight. You have to get this weight off. And it I, it didn't matter because my brain was wired. I have, I have a mental twist in my brain that once I start, I can't stop, and then I can't stop from starting again. And this is the way I am wired. I realize through coming to vision every morning and reading the big book how I have this mental twist, and I'm not... I'm not the same as the rest of my family members. They could have a slice, a cookie, a chip. I would have to finish the whole bagger box. And I truly understand that this disease will take me to the very depth of my existence. And I get it. And because of that, I have the neutrality with working the steps. And thank you, God. Thank you, God. I have this neutrality around food. I can come and go. I recently worked with my helping my daughter out with her new baby, and it felt very strange to hold a bagel in my hand. But to me, that was like it could have been a rock. It meant absolutely nothing to me because I am happy, joyous, and free because of this program, because of working these steps and living in 10, 11, and 12. Thank you so much for allowing me to uh, do service today, and I pass. Thank you so much for getting us started. Who else would like to share on the moderate drinker here? Paula D. Kim G. Larry. Kim G. Larry. Lindsay. Lindsay. Just a minute. Um, Well, who was the T? And then there was an M. What was the first name on the T? After Lindsay. No, Paula. Kim, Larry, Lindsay, and then there was another voice and another voice. Sally. 
Sally. Okay, Sally. Eh? Anita, it's Lindy, not Lindsay. You're cracking me up. Oh, my goodness, Lindy, of all people. Yes. All right, let's let's go with it. Let's see five. We'll start with Paula, followed by Kim. Paula D., please go ahead. And thank you, and thank you for your time and your service this morning. My name is Paula D., currently in Florida, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, by and with the grace of God. You know, as we come into this chapter, this was my hope, you know. Okay, a hard drinker, that was all right. That was my hope. If I could stop there. But we did talk about, and as was mentioned, the mental twist, as Naomi so beautifully talked about, that we live. But this part here, I was content if it would cause me to die a few years before my time. That's all right. I'll do that. I I don't mind giving up a few years if I'm going to have what I want for today. Now, this is it. If there was sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of mind, becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. And I could for all of those reasons. Though he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention, this was my hope. This was my dream. This was the insanity of the disease, that we would be content with giving up a few years of our lives. This is what I saw as was read. I was there. And some of us take step by step, and that's what I did. The moderate drinker, oh, yeah, the hard drinker. May I tell you, I stayed there for many years. Not today. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you so much, Paula D. And Kim G., please go ahead. Kim, press star one. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I had my phone muted, not just with star one. Sorry about that. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Kim, my name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered. Maybe set my timer. And my name is Kim G. Okay. Um, it's a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can stop or moderate. I mean, is that your reality? You know, for me, it's not only important for me to know who I am, it's important for me to know who I am not. Because if I have to understand, I am not the person that regardless of what the consequences or what the reason, that I can stop or moderate. You know, there's a girl in my office that about six, eight months ago had... Um, the latest bariatric surgery, I think it's called a sleeve surgery, and she was very wonderful. After she got back from surgery, I talked to her and I asked her if I could ask her some questions, and I'll tell you, she's not a compulsive overeater. She's not, and this, this surgery has been wonderful for her. It's eight months later, I had another conversation with her. This handling of the bariatric surgery was sufficient for her because she doesn't have the allergy to body or the session of the mind. So that is successful, Herc. So what is confusing is when a doctor sees what the food does to someone, what the food does to my friend Lori, the food did to me as far as the consequences and the way it manifested on my body. And because it was successful with her, he's going to think it's going to be successful with me. But what he doesn't understand is what the food does for me, it doesn't do for Lori. 
the Lord's able to, to stop and moderate on this physical solution. So I have to know who and what I am. So what I have to understand, too, is that not everyone in overeater is anonymous as a compulsive overeater. If someone can come into OA and if they can simply go to meetings and have a fellowship and that is enough for them to not compulsively overeat, to stop or moderate, they're not a compulsive overeater. If someone comes into Overeaters Anonymous and on a very structured food plan and very structured way of working the tools only and not needing to work the steps, they're not the type of compulsive overeater this book is talking about. So I have to know who I am. So as a hard eater who truly is happy just doing the tools and going to meetings, tries to sponsor someone like me, I'm going to die. And it doesn't mean that person's being cruel. It just means what's working for them, they don't understand why it's not working for me. So I have to understand not only who and what I am, but I have to understand who and what I am not. And that's why I love this book. This book clearly differentiates the difference between the non-alcoholic and the alcoholic, the difference between the hard eater, the moderate eater, and the true compulsive overeater. Because if you are the type that you identify in with this book, it's going to tell us over and over again that my only hope is a spiritual experience as the result of the steps. And let me tell you, that is my reality as well. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Larry Kay, please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, with, between the ages of, I would say, about 18 to, I don't know, maybe 23, where alcohol was concerned, I looked, I looked a lot like a duck. I quacked a lot like a duck. I walked like a duck. But guess what? I wasn't a duck. And what I mean to say is that with alcohol, I've always been able to stop. And more importantly than that, I can stay stopped and always have been able to stay stopped. In other words, for me, alcohol has always been something that I could take or leave. You know, it doesn't elicit any sort of cravings for me uh, when I consume it. Um, There's never been a time where I've been restless, irritable, and discontented unless I can again experience, you know, that sense of ease and comfort. You know, if if there's an alcoholic on the line, you, you get it which comes at once by taking a few drinks. See, that was never the case for me. But again, between, uh, you know, about 18 to 23, I sure looked the part. I played the part. See, but the reason is because alcohol doesn't do that for me. You know, I would not understand what the phenomenon feels like where alcohol is concerned because I've never experienced it. Now, if it were chocolate, oh, I know, I know all about that. Pretty darn familiar with that phenomenon. And uh, so, you know, all that said, I've overindulged in my consumption of alcohol when I was younger. And yes, uh, I'd say that, you know, most certainly I I would have qualified as a hard drinker because my friends and I regularly went out and we, you know, we lit up the town and we consumed lots of alcohol. And you might have even been convinced that I was. Um, But, you know, but there was never a progression of the disease for me because it didn't exist for me. I had, you know, once I had no more use for alcohol, you know, I had a good reason to put it down. I was able to easily do that. And it, was that because I had good morals, a, a good, you know, philosophy of living? No, that, that was not the case. But I was never enslaved by alcohol, pure and simple. 
So I, I never had to awaken to face the, the hideous four horsemen mentioned on page 151, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. See, if you're on the line right now contemplating whether you're merely a hard eater, uh, you know, hard drinker when it comes to food rather than, you know, than a true uh, alcoholic with food, you know, you'll learn shortly how to quickly diagnose yourself in the next chapter. Um, so stay tuned. I'll just say that for me, I used every form of self-deception and experimentation to try to prove that I wasn't a compulsive reader. I wanted to be a, a, an exception, exceptional to the rule, but, uh, but I was not. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Lindy, please go ahead. Lindy F. Lindy? Uh, this is Lindy F. from upstate New York, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share. Usually I'm on the meeting and I just listen. Um, I guess what I need to say is just to play my speech. I relate to everything that's been said and read. And could I put this down? Oh, sometimes. And uh, could I, you know, stop or moderate sometimes? But sometimes not. And uh, it's never reliable. And uh, really not consistently long-term responses to my self-will. And there were times when I was younger that I could look like I was controlling it with self-will. And then the progression uh, made it so that uh, my eating was out of control. And I had lots and lots and lots of reasons and motivation and I remember years and years ago and this is before professionals knew about eating disorders. I you know, I had food had devastated my life. Um or and I, I, I remember therapists saying, Oh well if you basically if you had sufficient motivation if you really wanted to and I just looked at her right I couldn't explain at the time that my life was ruined. And um, and then all the motivation in the world. And then it took me years and years and years after that to find a way and years after a way to get absent. So it's just a really good reminder for me today that uh, I'm not uh, a problem eater or a hard eater, uh, that I really am a compulsive overeater. And in my life today, I I need um, I need my higher power and um, the other people in LA. Um, so with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lindy F, for your share. And Sally A, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. A vision for you. <clears throat> Thank you for your service. So when I read these words. Every time I read these words, and I've read them many times, a moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely. If they have good reason for it, they can take it or leave it alone. It's those words right there, take it or leave it alone, that always remind me of 
a day about 15 years ago. I'm amazed that 15 years later, I still remember this incident like it happened yesterday. I was out with a friend. I don't know where we had gone, but she had driven me home, and I was in my drive in, her, in my driveway in her car, and we were sitting there chatting just before I got out of her car, and she reached over and she opened her glove compartment, and the glove compartment door popped open, and she saw that there was a chocolate bar in there, and she said, "Oh, I forgot I left that in there," and she pulled it out. She took a nibble on it, and she wrapped it back up and put it back in her glove compartment. It still haunts me. I could never do something like that. If I had a chocolate bar in my glove compartment, I would never forget that it was there. It would be like a nuclear reactor is in my car. It would be glowing in green in the middle of the night. It would be calling to my head like I had some kind of auditory hallucinations. Sally, I'm here. I would never forget that chocolate bar in my car, in my glove compartment. Certainly, I could not take a nibble of it and wrap it back up and sort of shrug my shoulders and put it back. But if you're not sure, if you're a moderate drinker, as Larry was saying so beautifully, at the bottom of page 31, it says, we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled, in our case, eating. And I just want to wrap it up with this one last thought about this. At my daughter Sam's wedding, um, it was about 10 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit less, maybe seven years ago, I was really in the food big time. And at that wedding, they had pitchers of sangria. And um, I was thirsty. And I, I was drinking the sangria without realizing that I was truly becoming drunk. And my children who were sitting right around me, across from me, all three of my kids were right in front of me, across the table from where I was. And they were talking and whispering to each other, I got it, I got it. And finally, I figured out what they were saying, that they were stealing my glass because they wanted me to stop drinking the sangria because I was getting so drunk and giddy and silly. And the minute I realized what was happening, I went to a one of the waitresses and said, can you put a pitcher of water in front of me? I'm thirsty. She came with a pitcher of water, and the rest of the day I drank water. And my cousin, who was sitting next to me, looked at me and she said, I can't believe you did that. You just like stopped on a dime. I said, yeah, I realized I was getting drunk. And that is the difference between my eating problem and the drinking. If I could stop on a dime like that with food, I wouldn't need to be hanging with you guys right now. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thank you. Thank you. And do we have time for this first uh, reading? Maybe two or three more people. Mary B. from Boston. Mary B. Katie. Mary B. Wait a minute. Chrissy M. Wait a minute. This, this was my fear. <laughs> um, I got the last three. Okay, Mary B. Katie. Yes. Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. And what's that first one? What's the before Kate? Before Katie. Rakesset C. Mary B. I've got I've got Rakesset. I have Mary B. Uh, Katie G. And who else? There were a couple more. Nancy Mary J. 
Oh, yeah, Nancy. Chrissy M. Nadia. Chrissy M. Nadia E. Nadia E. All right, let's go with, let's see, we have six here. And who's the last one? Bobby. Did you say Bobby? Bobby, yes. Bobby, okay. All right, let's see if we can get, let's see how talkative these ladies are. (laughs) All right. Christy M., please go ahead. Hi, this is Christy. Yeah. Hi, this is Christy M., a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. Um, I I was just reading this morning out of the 12 and 12, the section in step one that talks about the last Gaspers. And it's interesting because I have a situation where I have someone um, in my family who is just beginning um, his career, it seems, it seems, into addiction. So I I was reading this part, and it just was so apropos to what we read today and has a whole other, because nothing's ever. What happened? We're losing you, Chrissy. What happened to you? Press down. Can you hear me? Yeah. Now I can. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, so this was really fitting. It says in the twelve and twelve, even these last gaspers often had difficulty in realizing how hopeless they actually were, but a few did. And when these laid hold of AA principles with all the fever which with which the drowning sees life preservers, they almost invariably got well. And then the other part is, you know, it's not so black and white. The other part is, but many less desperate alcoholics tried AA and could not succeed because they couldn't make the admission of hopelessness. But it's in, it is a tremendous satisfaction to record that in the following years this changed. Alcoholics who still had their health, their family, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism. And this trend grew. They were joined by young people who were scarcely more than potential alcoholics. This part I love. They were spared the last 10 or 15 years of literal hell the rest of us had to go through. I absolutely love that because step one only is an omission of unmanageability. And any anyone who is, um, I, I don't know, obsessed by food, but not not to the degree that I was at the end, could still admit on the manageability. So I um, I think this step is really, really good um, companion to this um, paragraph. That's all I have to think. Thank you. Thank you, Chrisanne. And Katie G., please go ahead. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Awesome. Sorry. Let me just get my timer. Katie G., uh, multiple reader in our Bully Mix. Um, I guess what the things that really were eye-openers. One, um, I could never eat on the truth. And the truth is I have these delusions, which are defined as false psychotic beliefs, that I can be normal, right, with like, let's say, exercise. So I develop a resentment at my boyfriend because um, he can exercise 15 days in a row, right? And I'm like, well, why can't I? Because I am a compulsive overeater and anorexic bulimic. And so if I exercise 15 days in a row, I have 
an allergic reaction, I get addicted, and the next thing I know, like all I'm doing is exercising. And so I never understood, like cognitively, I am different. And I would look at people. I remember being at a wedding and looking at people and being like, look at them just eating. Like, why can't I just do that? Why can't I just have one? Like, I want to be normal. And the problem is that normal is not what I think it is. Like, normal in my head is binging my brains out all the time and being in a size two. Like, I don't understand that normal is literally like going to the gym for 15 days in a row and then taking two weeks off and not having to do 110 steps on it because you feel like you're going to die because your body weight is out of control and you want to die. Like that is my thinking, right? Or, you know, um, like that normal is being able to have one that we, that so many people have been talking about that craziness of, you know, in, in my mind, that food abuse of being able to like, you know, take to the checkout some one of my addictive foods and it makes it to the checkout. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't understand. And so I'll wrap up um, with my last minute saying like, you know, what was so profound and continues to be so profound is that I cannot pick up on the truth. Like if I really look at the truth of what my binge foods are and I have it in my hand, that it's going to take me to the end of the earth. That it, I don't know that there's a stopping point, that there is no stopping point that, you know, and that's what powerlessness is. And that, no amount of willpower can work. And it's confusing because diets and abstaining for a little while can work. But ultimately, like, I am so powerless. There's nothing can, that I can do. I have no power. I have no choice. Food is the, my drug of no choice. And I have no control over food, exercise, anorexic tendencies. And thank you, God. Like, thank you, God. I can hit step one. And I don't have to pick up the food either to hit step one. You know, like, I can admit, oh, yes, I am 100% powerless. So I am doing it with you guys here today in Boston with that I pass. Thank you very much, Katie G. And Mary B., please go ahead. Yes. Good morning. Thank you very much. This is Mary B. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. Thank you uh, for your service and thanks to everyone who shared today. Um, actually, Chrissy M. said what I was going to share, but I want to uh, share my experience with this. I wanted to share for the newcomer or anyone out there, and there are so many people listening on this line who is listening to the shares and saying, oh, I'm not that bad. Oh, I never do that. Well, my weight didn't go to there. And I, that's what I did. When I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1962, I was in this paragraph, moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up if they have a uh, reason for it. And that was my... My method of keeping my weight down was binging and starving, binging and starving. But if I had a wedding to go to or was going to take a trip or um, my own uh, marriage, I could starve the weight off. And then I moved to the next paragraph where I found that I would binge and gain 20 pounds and lose 15. And then I would gain 30 pounds and lose 20 or lose, gain 30 pounds and lose 10. 
And I could not, that's where I came into the program. I could not control my eating once I started. And I could no longer starve that weight off. But I would say, oh, I never ate out of the garbage like some people shared. And my weight wasn't over 200 pounds. But I should have added that little word, three-letter word, yet. Because I did. Every time I picked up that food again, my disease had progressed to a much lower point. And I did wind up being someone who threw the food in the garbage and went, got it back. And my weight did go to 210 pounds. So this is a progressive disease. And in L.A., we had a saying that the train runs all the way from Beverly Hills to Skid Row, and you can get off anywhere along the line. So um, I'm just so grateful not to ever want, I don't want to forget what it was like, and I'm grateful to be recovered today. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you so much, Mary B. And Nancy, Nancy from Philadelphia, is it? Hi, this is Nancy James. Hi, everyone on the line. Grateful, recovered, compulsive reader from Philadelphia. I just love everyone's story, and I love this paragraph. Um, early on, and actually I think in my early teens, late teens, early 20s, I recognized that five of us in my family, I have two younger brothers, that my father and I were very, very similar. He was an alcoholic, and I knew I had problems with food. And the thing that's so ironic is that my father, before I was born, started working for Whitman's Chocolate. He was a candy coater. So he, that's what he did for this whole career at Whitman's Chocolate. He was a candy coater. And when he came home, he smelled like chocolate. My cologne, my perfume, I can, oh, it was wonderful. And I loved chocolate. He'd bring it home, and it was available for me all the time. And it took me actually 40, over 40 years to actually come into OA because, as I said, the disease is progressive, and mine's progressed. I got to a place where I would almost die, and I changed my diet, unwittingly taking out my trigger foods, not knowing that I did that. But, of course, I hadn't dealt with the problem. So as soon as something happened, I went back to the trigger foods and had health issues that almost killed me. And it wasn't until coming to OA, into OA I realized, oh, I have a problem. This is a disease. This is an illness that can kill me. And it's ironic because I have a friend, my sister friend, who I love dearly, like the sister of my soul. We, there's a place where I live that has all these wonderful places that you can go in. And for 10 months while I was absent, I could not go in with her because she's one of those people who can go in and order two of something. In fact, she went into one one time and forgot and left her thing that she bought. I could never do that. And I'm so grateful today to OA because without OA, I would definitely be dead. And so I'm grateful to be here, grateful to everyone on the line, and grateful for everyone's share, and thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Nancy J. And Rick Cassett, you're up. Hi, Anita. Thank you. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from California. And I have never, ever, ever been a moderate eater, ever, as far as I can remember. 
even as a baby, a kid, I just wanted more and more and more. If something tasted good, I just didn't want to ever stop eating it. So, um, but today, when I when I eat with people, my family, friends, they they think I'm a moderate eater because I eat moderately. You know, they think I'm a very normal eater. I eat a piece of protein, I eat salad, and I eat fruit, and I eat the right quantities. Four ounces. My God, I never, ever ate in ounces. It was always pounds. I would never buy one of those small candy bars. No way. You know, I buy one of those two-pound bag, two pound bags of M&M's, and that was my snack, a two-pound bag of M&M's. And so I know I'm not, that's not natural for me to eat like the way I do today. And I could never do that on my own, ever do that on my own. I know it's God. God's power is giving me the ability to eat moderately today. But it's only it's only good for today as long as I do my program, as long as I keep my connection with God and my fellows. That's only good for today. And one more thing, um, when I used to go to a therapist several years ago, many years ago actually, I would leave work in the morning and, and drive to her office, which was like, you know, 10 miles or so, and I'd stop on the way at a bakery. There was a bakery near her house that I liked, and I I would just stop there and binge and binge and binge, and then I'd go see my therapist. And I'd sit in my therapist's office. I'd groan and groan. First of all, I was almost sick. I could barely breathe. And I would say, God, I just wish I was a normal eater. I just wish I was a normal eater. And she said to me, Marquette, when you are abstinent, that is normal eater. That You behave like a normal eater when you are abstinent. For breakfast, you have you know, cottage cheese, fruit, oatmeal in the right quantities. You don't have two dozen donuts for breakfast. You don't have a whole cake. That is not normal. That is not normal. But when you eat abstinently, that is a normal way to eat. So thank you for letting me share that. Thank you so much for Kessid. And Nadia B, please go ahead. Good morning, family. It's Nadia E from Toronto, Canada. And I'm vacationing currently in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So let me just set my timer. Um, so it's three minutes, correct? Correct. Okay, here we go. Um, so what I wanted to share on is, first of all, I need to say this. I am a compulsive overeater recovered by the grace of God today. Um, and I realize that I cannot eat specific foods. And when I'm in fit spiritual condition, I remember this and I'm at peace with myself and my fellows. But, and it's a big but and it's a big if, if I am not in fit spiritual condition, I forget. And I believe, I truly believe that I can eat moderately like a normal eater. And that's what happened. Um, the other day, I was, um, you know, my, my meals were on a different schedule, and I thought, oh, I can do this. And then, <laughs> luckily, my, my higher power whispered and said, no, you cannot afford to forget who you are. You are a compulsive overeater. Just because you are recovered today, does not guarantee you if you do not continue to work these steps, you don't call in and listen to a vision for you, 
Um, you do not call your sponsor. You do not record what's going on, how you're doing physically, emotionally, spiritually today. Um, and ask yourself those lovely questions. You know, um, am I being dishonest? Am I being fearful? And just to get a barometer of where I'm at and to stop. To stop and and figure out where I'm at and what's going on and to be honest with myself, with my higher power, and with another human being. And, um, and then, you know, then I realized what I was, I cannot do that. I need to have my scheduled meals, my scheduled snacks, and I need to stay in conscious contact with my higher power. And with that, I pass, and I'm so grateful. Thank you, family. Have a great day, and bye for now. Thank you, Nadia. And we have uh, Bob D. wants to share. And after that, we'll quickly just start the next paragraph. Please go ahead, Bob B. Uh, this is Bob B. from Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm glad to be on the line this morning. I uh, don't usually tune into this, but I needed a meeting, and I'm glad I did. I was reminded uh, uh, in reading the for today uh, that relates to this discussion we're having this morning um, that in terms of uh, a vision came to me. The vision is my disease um, and my disease has a sweatshirt on. And uh, also the other vision is my higher power who has a sweatshirt on. Um, the sweatshirt on my disease says food is the answer. And my higher power sweats sweatshirt says I am the answer the key for me is to remember when I have a decision to make is to remember to ask my higher power for guidance whether it's a decision with food or a decision with life and I believe life is made up of choices and in terms of the choice when I make my choice and my choice would be toward go to the food for the answer uh, that's my ego. That's my disease talking to me. Um, and when I remember to ask my higher power for guidance, I'll go to my higher power for the answer. And the answer is always with my higher power. And my higher power reminded me today when he wrote to me that he said, I am the answer. Ask me first. And that's one of, in my program, one of the six A's. Uh, first is awareness, acceptance, and then key is asking my higher power before the fourth A, which is taking the action. And the fifth A is amnesia for me. I forget what, that I have a disease and have to keep coming back. And the sixth A, and most important, uh, is abstinence. When I have abstinence, I have a connection with my higher power. And when I have a connection with my higher power, I get the right answers. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Bob B. Come back. And now we're going to move on to Chelsea, who will read the next paragraph. Good morning. Am I to read? Yes, please. Oh, okay. Please go ahead. This is Chelsea. Thanks for your service. This is Chelsea. I'm a recovered compulsive eater just for today. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. 
But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Um, just that one paragraph? I'm sorry, I was yes. unmuting when you were talking. Yes, just the one paragraph. Thank you. Okay, um, looking here now, I need to ask myself, am I this thing? Is this the experience that I had that now, no matter when I start or when I stop again, I have no control over either thing? Because even when I was able to stop, even when I was able to fall in love and drop a few pounds so that way I could at least be somewhat comfortable being with another human being, it wouldn't last long. Even the love wasn't enough, you know? It wasn't operative. It wasn't workable. It wasn't effective. And am I the real alcoholic? And what the heck does that even mean for me is I had to ask myself, you know, do I have little trouble stopping? And am I able to not start again? All these questions I had to really ask myself because I had evaded them for decades. I just thought that I could throw everything at this uh, disease and somehow I would be able to control and eat the way I want to, Not, never mind enjoy. I wanted to be able to throw down, to really eat the way I want to without any repercussions. And it just wouldn't happen because invariably I would end up triggering the whole cycle again by taking that first bite. Because it says here that um, once he starts to drink is when this whole thing goes into motion. So prior to that, if I've stopped, I'm experiencing what they talk about in the doctor's opinion, that how men and women, they drink, eat to get that effect. And I, anything that comes in my way, any kind of little trouble, any kind of little minimal thing, my solution is to eat. And if, I'm, if I am abstinent only, untreated, compulsive eating, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that when I stop. Whether I'm a moderate drinker or hard drinker or not will be determined as to whether I can stay stopped. And only that comes about by working through this process so that I can understand it. Because I don't know this information when I'm face down in the food. But walking through this process and getting the information and then implementing the steps, the steps, the steps, the steps, it always comes back to that and actually taking them in order. I didn't know that. But now that I do, I can look back in hindsight and read this paragraph and say I have to be careful about never taking the first bite because it starts once he starts to drink. So that comes back to saying that I would succumb to the disease. If I succumb to it, I'm going to set off the cycle and I'll have a biological mandate to eat. End of story. So I'm grateful today to have information to do otherwise, to be other-centered, and it's not anything I could do in and of my own volition. I had to walk through this process and make a connection with some kind of power greater than myself. And with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much. We have time for a couple, a couple more. Deborah R. Deborah R. And who Renata. else? Renata. All right, let's go with the two of you. This is Bella, can I share? Bella, I'm not sure if we'll get to you. We'll see, though. All right, honey? Okay, thank you. Uh, Deborah, go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Deborah R. from Michigan, and um, love to everyone on the vision for you, and especially those newcomers who are um, in the place where I used to be, where I really didn't, I intellectually kind of thought, 
Yeah, I'm an overeater. Oh, sounds like me, but gee, I don't think I'm that bad yet. And yet, the more I tried to control my food and the more I went to meeting, I began slowly but surely to begin to identify in that once I start, I can't stop. And then when I stop, I can't stop or start again. And this vicious cycle um, filled with, you know, something I can never forget. And I'm glad I can't and don't want to. If there was a time in my life that I ate 144 chocolate chips with these in 11 hours, that in itself, among all my other crazy things, just really identified that I have a problem with food, which has been simplified to trigger food, and only by putting the ingredients down 100% that set up the allergy in my body can I then become clear-headed enough to read the big book and work the steps in order to enjoy the last um, 14 years of recovery where the food is not calling my name, not talking to me 24-7, and not controlling my life, and I can live life on life where using the 12 steps and my higher power and as well as the fellowship and my sponsor to help me walk through life. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deborah R. And Renata G., please go ahead. Thank you, Anita, for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Read in New York. And I had to really ask myself, you know, and get honest and, you know, look at my own experience and my reality and, you know, ask myself, am I the real compulsive reader or do I just mm-hmm. have a, a problem with food? You know, it's just a matter of finding the right diet. And the answer was that I'm a real compulsive reader because, you know, like others shared, uh, there were many things that I abused and many substances, like let's say cigarettes and alcohol and um You know, I probably had an allergy of the body with it because, you know, like when I drank, I drank just like an alcoholic until it was like face down on the floor. But then, you know, when I have reason uh, sufficient enough to make me want to stop drinking, you know, because it was affecting my life in a negative way, I just put it down. And I never thought about it again. I mean, I don't. My mind doesn't try to convince me that it's okay to have a drink today for whatever reason, or it's the holidays, or, you know, it's a wine, organic, made, whatever. I don't have an obsession of the mind when it comes to cigarettes and alcohol. When it started affecting my life, I just put it down and it stayed down. I could stay stuck. But with the food, I could never do that, no matter how great the the wish, how, you know, the necessity, like the big book talks about, I could never leave it alone as much as I wanted to, as much as, you know, I started to see that every time I pick up that first bite, I could not stop, right? I would be out of control and binging and be miserable thinking, you know, telling my my hand to stop putting food in my mouth and I couldn't stop. 
But then next time my mind, you know, told me to eat, I would just eat, you know, because I had no power against this mental obsession with the food. And so for me, because I'm a real compulsive overeater, my only solution was to work this 12 step, you know, to take care of a spiritual malady, because that was really my problem, a spiritual malady. And today I need to continue working on those steps because I'll always be a compulsive overeater. I'll never be cured. But as long as I remain in fit spiritual condition, I have a daily reprieve from this awful mental twist that used to rule my life and make me really miserable and, you know, uh, kept me away from everything and from a connection with a higher power. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll have to end there. I'm sorry, Bella, if you can stay on for the second hour. Thank you for everyone who shared. Um, We will now... um, uh, So thank you, and uh, join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we will now close, as we always do, with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Kathy Kay please read our vision for you? Thank you, Anita J., for your service. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will certainly surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.